Hi, and welcome to Ask Wardy. I'm Wardy, a wife and mom of three, lead teacher, blogger, and founder of traditionalcookingschool.com. I'm also the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods. Ask Wardy is the weekly show devoted to answering your niggling questions about traditional cooking. Maybe it's your sourdough starter, your sauerkraut, preserving foods, broth, superfoods, or anything else to do with traditional cooking. You can catch Ask Wardy live each Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, that's 1 p.m. Eastern, or through the podcast and video replays at askwardy.tv. And now, let's get to today's show. Is buckwheat a good choice for gluten-free baking? How does it work to mill it in the mock mill? Where do you buy it? And what recipes do I recommend? These questions came in from Kathy, and Kathy, buckwheat is a great choice for milling. It's also a good choice for sprouting, with a caveat that I'll tell you in a little bit later. So in this Ask Wardy, we're doing Buckwheat 101. I'm helping you choosing your buckwheat, milling your buckwheat, sprouting your buckwheat, recipes, and more. This is Ask Wardy, episode 141. You can find the links, transcript, and other ways to tune in at askwardy.tv. Look for episode 141. So here is Kathy's question. Hi, Wardy. I have a few questions about buckwheat seed. One, is this a good seed for grinding in the mock mill? Two, does it need to be pre-soaked? Three, is sprouting it a good choice? Four, do you have a company you recommend purchasing buckwheat from? And five, have you used this seed and do you have any recipes that are gluten-free? Kathy, thank you so much for your question. And because we're featuring it on today's Ask Wardy, you are getting a gift, which is a free ebook and video package, and our team will be in touch to give you that. Just going to go through your questions one by one. Is buckwheat a good option for milling your own flour in the mock mill? Yes, the mock mill does a wonderful job milling buckwheat into flour, along with many other gluten-free and gluten-containing grains. So you do need to know about the types of buckwheat, and there's basically two available on the market. And this one that you can see is darker, has a hole. This is often called sprouting buckwheat. It still has the hole on it. These are often called buckwheat groats. The hole has been removed. In addition, it's called hold buckwheat. Now, this hold thing is very confusing because you can think of hold either way. Does hold buckwheat means the hole is on or does it mean the hole is off? Well, in this case, you just have to memorize it. Hold buckwheat means the hole has been removed. So you have sprouting buckwheat still containing its hole, which is the dark brown, and you have buckwheat groats. that are also called hold buckwheat where the hole has been removed. This makes a heavier flour for baking. This is often cooked up um, as a alternative to rice. So you can cook it into a porridge or like a rice and you can serve your main dish over it. And you might also see it toasted in things called kasha. They're using buckwheat groats. So let's actually mill some of this. This is the mock mill, which is my recommendation for a home stone grain mill. It's affordable, makes very fine flour. It's very convenient and easy to use. And actually you can get 5% off if you use my link, tradcookschool.com slash mock mill, M-O-C-K-M-I-L-L. Let's use it now. On the side, you have the fine to coarse setting. We're gonna have it on number one, which is the finest. And I'm gonna show you how to mill both types of flour, starting with the sprouting buckwheat or the whole buckwheat that still has the hole on it. Process on the mock mill is that you turn it on, you add the grain, whatever you're grinding into the hopper, let it fully run through before you turn off the mill. So let's do that now. So 
So here's our flower. And you can see the basic flower itself, it has flecks of dark brown. Also, a lot of these paper thin hull pieces came off in flakes. So whenever I do whole buckwheat flour, I actually sift this so I don't end up with these whole buckwheat flakes in my flour. But it makes a wonderful flour for hearty pancakes or to add to your gluten-free baked goods. Here's a new bowl for our lighter buckwheat flour that I'm gonna make out of the buckwheat groats that no longer have the hull. So this does make a lighter flour. You won't have to sift out the whole pieces. I'm gonna go through the same process with the mock mill. There we go. It's even a little bit grayish, greenish, because buckwheat has that quality. The groats do that don't have the hull, but it doesn't have the dark flecks from the hull, and this does make a lighter flour. And as is the case with any flour you run through the mock mill, it's nice and fine, cool to the touch. Just a great appliance. And there's your buckwheat flour, your light buckwheat flour. Kathy, you also asked if buckwheat needs to be pre-soaked. Well, buckwheat, like any seed, whether it's wheat, rye, quinoa, or any seed, soaking is always beneficial. In fact, in traditional cooking, we have three methods of preparing grains or even pseudo-grains like this for best digestion. You have soaking, sprouting, and souring slash fermenting. The reason is because seeds contain anti-nutrients like phytic acid and lectins, and these can lead to mineral deficiencies, gut irritation, and more. And if you use traditional methods like soaking, sprouting, and souring, you will reduce the anti-nutrients and make the seeds, in this case buckwheat, more nutritious and digestible. So with these buckwheat flours or anything you're making with buckwheat, the best and easiest way to approach it is to grind your flour and then use the flour in a soaked or soured recipe. With sprouting, you follow a different process, but the best way to approach soaking is to start with flour, use it in a soaked recipe, and then proceed with baking, etc. Your next question, Kathy, is sprouting a good idea with buckwheat? Both kinds of buckwheat sprout well. In fact, this is one of the easiest seeds to sprout. However, there's a caveat with sprouting. It's if you sprout either of these, that you don't take it too far to the point where they produce green leaves. When buckwheat gets to the point where it's produced green leaves, it's considered a microgreen, and there's a big issue with buckwheat microgreens in particular. This is according to Giles Arbor, and I'm not sure how his name is pronounced, but he points out that there's a problem with buckwheat greens and that they contain a naturally occurring substance that causes phototoxicity in humans and animals. He says, when ingested in sufficient quantity, phagopyrin, that's this naturally occurring substance in buckwheat microgreens, is known to cause the skin of animals and people to become phototoxic, which is to say, to become hypersensitive to sunlight. And this condition occurs when the ingested phagopyrin, that's this substance that comes into the microgreens, when it accumulates under the skin and is subsequently activated by sunlight, it results in a toxic reaction within the skin. So the exposed areas of skin will turn pink or red within minutes. There might even be a strong burning sensation that accompanies that reaction. And within a few hours, the exposed areas will usually appear to return to normal. However, they will remain ultra sensitive to cold water, hot water, and to friction. And this sensitivity can last for days. And there's additional symptoms that people can experience. So you can go to 
the show notes at askwardy.tv episode 141 to read the full quote from this author. So having said all that, it is fun and easy to sprout buckwheat and it makes a fantastic cold cereal or you can take it further and dehydrate your sprouted buckwheat into flour. So let's talk about both those things. So personally, I love to sprout the buckwheat growths that no longer have a hole. And the way to do it is simple. You put one cup in a half gallon mason jar, top it with a sprout screen, cover with water, and let it soak for 20 to 30 minutes. This is a seed that doesn't do well with long soaking because it gets gummy, so it's just a 20 to 30 minute process. After the 20 to 30 minutes, you drain the water, rinse well, and then you let it sprout. The moisture and the warmth of your house this will just sprout and start developing like a little seedling, but we don't want to get green leaves over the course of 18 to 24 hours. It's super fast. And I like to do my sprouts so they're tilted up a little bit so that water can drain out, that they're not sitting in water. And then you just let it be like this for 18 to 24 hours, usually rinsing twice daily. Cover with water, drain, cover with water again, drain, then tilt it up until the next time. So obviously these are not sprouted, they would be wet, but when they're done, which means they have a little tail, no greens, then you store them in the fridge, do consume them within a couple days, and they're really delicious as a cold breakfast cereal, so you put some in a bowl and you drizzle your honey or maple syrup, you add fresh fruit or dried fruit, shredded coconut, your milk of choice, and it's crunchy and delicious, really, really yummy. If you can't consume them within a few days, then you wanna look at dehydrating your sprouted grains. So let's talk about that next. Here are some dehydrated dried buckwheat sprouts. Process is simple. You need a lined dehydrator tray and you spread your wet sprouts in a thin layer and in about 24 hours, they will be completely dry geography depending, at a temperature of 115 degrees Fahrenheit. They come out like this, dried and crunchy, and you can use these as a cold cereal. You can lightly cook these up into a warm porridge, or you can move on and create sprouted flour out of them. So let's do that now. Same process as before. So you see I had to help that along a little bit. That's because of the sprout tails. But now we have this a little bit more green color, fine sprouted flour using your baked goods. Now this, because it was sprouted, you don't have to use it in a soaked recipe. You can instantly make pancakes or cookies or add it to a gluten-free blend. And you don't have to go through the traditional food prep methods to prepare it for best digestion and nutrition. Put your flour in an airtight container. It's most nutritious and less oxidized if you use it up within 24 hours. If you can't use it within 24 hours, then still in that airtight container, it should go in the fridge or freezer. Kathy also asked where to buy buckwheat. So a couple considerations to keep in mind. One is always choose organic whenever possible because then you'll have low pesticide residues and the growing practices will be the best they could be. Doesn't mean all organic is the best it could be, but you're, you're getting closer to that ideal. Local farmer where you know their practices even better, but that's not possible for most of us. So I've purchased buckwheat, both the sprouting buckwheat and the groats before through local food warehouses, Azure Standard. The buckwheat that I purchased for this episode of Ask Wardy came from an Amazon merchant. I basically looked for sprouting quality because then I knew it was raw and sproutable and I looked for organic and I looked for good reviews. So check out the show notes 
notes, askwardy.tv, episode 141, for links to the ones that I have purchased recently. Kathy's next question, have we personally used buckwheat? And do we have any gluten-free recipes containing buckwheat? Well, I think you already know the answer to number one. Yes, we've used buckwheat quite a bit in all our traditional cooking years. So we've done the cold breakfast cereal. We've even sprouted for microgreens, though I no longer recommend that because of the phototoxicity issue we were talking about before. And we've ground buckwheat into flour, both sprouted and non-sprouted to use in gluten-free recipes. It's very versatile and has a great taste. When you're using it for gluten-free baking, I do recommend that it's better blended with other gluten-free flours. And this is the case for all gluten-free flours. They just have different properties, some of them weak, some of them strong. So if you can blend four or five together for your flour mixture, for your gluten-free baking, you're gonna get better results. You're gonna get just better across the board because the weaknesses and the strengths kind of balance each other out. And so you can have better results that way. If you visit the show notes, I've got some links for you to recipes, askwardy.tv episode 141. We have sprouted buckwheat breakfast. We have blended blender banana oatmeal pancakes, we have soaked gluten-free blender waffles, and we have healthy chocolate chip breakfast cookies. In addition, I've given you a link to a search on the Traditional Cooking School website for all recipes and articles containing buckwheat. Okay, quick wrap up here. You wanna make sure you know about the mock mill. This is what I've used to demonstrate the flour grinding today. And I wanna just encourage you all, if you're in the market for a home grain mill, this one uses stone to grind, which is the arguably the best method for making homemade flour or making flour. It's affordable and it's made and manufactured by a man who's been in the milling industry for many, many years, Wolfgang Mock. If you do purchase and use my link, tradcookschool.com slash mockmill, you'll get 5% off. You'll get some bonus books from Mock Mill. And then if you go to tradcookschool.com slash millbonus, you can claim bonuses from me. And it's two ebook packages, our sourdough A to Z ebook and video package and our einkorn baking ebook packages. These have a total value of $128 and you get them free if you purchase mock mill through my link. Also in today's episode, we've been talking about traditional methods like soaking and sprouting, which are wonderful for buckwheat and any other seeds. And if you'd like an introduction to more of those traditional cooking methods, then please do sign up for our free traditional cooking video series. You can do that at tradcookschool.com slash yours free. And in addition to the free video series that introduces you to foundational and fundamental traditional cooking techniques, you'll also get 15 plus free eBooks on other traditional cooking topics. So again, tradcookschool.com slash yours free. Thanks again for your questions, Kathy. Anyone has questions more about buckwheat, feel free to use the comments with this episode at askwardy.tv episode 141. And that's also where you can find the complete transcript and links and the how-tos of everything I've shown you today. And I really appreciate you joining me and I hope to see you back again next week, same time, same place. And all the archives are available for you at any time at askwardy.tv. God bless you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me today. Here's what to do next. Ask Wardy wouldn't be possible without your questions, so please keep them coming. If you're on Twitter, tweet me at tradcookschool with your question and use the hashtag AskWardy. Or send an email to wardy at askwardy.tv. To get the show notes, links mentioned, video replay, or even to catch up on past episodes of Ask Wardy, go to askwardy.tv. To join the fun of the live video recording, be sure to follow me with the handle at tradcookschool on the Periscope app, or go to periscope.tv slash tradcookschool. 
We record live on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. That's 1 p.m. Eastern. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the Podcasts app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Ask Wardy while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to tradcookschool.com slash awitunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that others who are interested in traditional cooking will find Ask Wardy too. Thanks so much. God bless you. And I'll see you next week.